welcome to The Disability, a podcast where we have candid discussions about all things related to disability, short-term, long-term, financial claims, impact on other areas of life, causes in the workplace, and more, with your host, Attorney Angel Burgess. You can find this show at www.disabilityhelpline.com and on YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and more. Now here's the host of The Disability, Angel Burgess. Welcome to The Disability. Today's topic is going to be pulling back the curtain on the disability plot process. For many of you, if you have applied for Social Security Disability or you're thinking about applying for Social Security Disability, the process in itself can seem daunting. You don't know what to expect. You've probably heard so many things, probably different things from different people about this process and what's going to happen and how long it's going to take. Well, today we're going to pull back that curtain and we are going to discuss what really happens behind the scenes of a disability application. So the first thing that you are going to do um, once you make the decision to apply for a disability is of course you are going to have to file an application. If you are not um, working with an attorney, this will be something that you do on your own. So in many cases, um, you can apply online uh, but there are certain situations where you will need to either call Social Security or um, go to the local Social Security office to finish filing an application, particularly if you're applying for SSI. So in order to file that application, you're going to want to make sure that you have a few things on hand. You are going to need to have information available about your doctors because Social Security will need to know who's been treating you. What are the dates of treatment? Are there any medications that the doctors are prescribing you? And if so, what are those medications? You will also want to have on hand um, a list of the medications um, that you're taking so that you can write them down or provide that information to uh, the Social Security representative. And you will also want to have a resume. That's the easiest way to address a rather detailed set of questions that you will be asked about your work history. If there is any educational or vocational history, like if you've been in school or you're dealing with a child's case, you want to have information about the schools attended, the addresses, phone numbers, dates of attendance, and for a younger child, um, also teacher's names, if you're able to get that information. So once you gather all that information and you get that initial application filed, Social Security is going to first check to make sure that you are eligible for benefits um, for the program that you've applied to. Now you've heard discussion uh, already about SSI versus SSDI, but uh, regardless as to which of those two programs that you apply for, or if you apply for both, Social Security is going to do a check first to make sure that you're eligible for that particular program. 
If you have applied for SSDI, they're going to just do a check and make sure that you have enough uh, quarters of coverage or work credits. So just verifying that you've paid into the system enough to qualify for the SSDI benefits. If you've applied for SSI, there are questions um, on the SSI application about your finances. So they'll want to know how much money you have in the bank, if you have bank accounts or stocks or bonds, or if you own property or vehicles, all of that information they need to know um, for the SSI application. And ideally they want to check beforehand to make sure that you don't have too much money or too much in assets to qualify for SSI. If they determine that you don't qualify at this level, then you will get a denial letter and it will come pretty quickly because they're not looking at any of your medical at this point. They are just checking to make sure that you meet those requirements. So if you file an application and you get a denial letter within a couple of weeks, it's probably because you don't meet the requirements of that particular disability program. So let's say that you make it past that point, you file your application, you don't get any sort of denial letter in a couple of weeks. Um, usually what will happen is you'll get some sort of confirmation letter from Social Security where they're asking you to confirm that you've applied for benefits, sign and send any information back to them. Now here is a huge tip that I want everybody to pay close attention to. If Social Security sends you any forms and asks you to send them back, send them back. If you don't send back the forms, that can provide a basis for a denial of your claim. So technical denial, you didn't comply, you didn't provide them with the information that they need to process the claim. So be sure that um, you are complying and you're filling out any information that they ask for and send it back. Once that's out of the way, your case is going to move to what they call DDS, which is Disability Determination Services. And at DDS, that's where the claim kind of takes life, right? It, it, um, your case is assigned to an adjudicator and the adjudicator is going to be responsible for your case and, and making sure that it's processed appropriately and also that the information that Social Security needs to process the claim is available. So part of that includes um, sending out requests for medical records from the doctors uh, that you're receiving your treatment from. So that's why it's so important for you to have that information available and that it is contained in the initial application. So all the doctors that you've written down that you're currently seeing or that you've seen you know, within the last year or so, they are going to request records from those doctors. Um, they will also request any sort of therapy notes, um, school records, um, anything related, vocational records, anything that may be related to your disability claim. They're going to request those records. Once the records have been requested, Social Security, the adjudicator, is going to make sure that Social Security's in-house doctors 
and psychologists are um, able to review that medical information. So Social Security does an internal or in-house review of your records. They have their own doctors and psychologists that are on staff and they strictly read through your medical records and they give their opinions as to what they think you're able to do based upon what they see in your medical school vocational records. There are times where the doctors may think that it's appropriate to have somebody else, a third party that's not affiliated you know, with Social Security directly or not your treating doctor, but an independent doctor to do a one-time evaluation. So if Social Security decides that it is necessary, then what they will do is they will make an appointment for you to send you out to see this doctor or this psychologist. Uh, Social Security will pay that individual for the evaluation and providing a written report. Next, let's say you go out, you have that evaluation with that third party physician. That physician will prepare the written report and send it back to Social Security. And contained in that report is going to be, you know, any observations that the individual had during the visit. If it's a physical, they will provide the results of their physical examination. Any range of motion testing that was performed, looking at your extremities to see things like swelling, discoloration, if there's any evidence of problems with blood flow, they will look at all those things um, and provide that information in the written report and send it back to Social Security. Now, if you go for a psychological evaluation, um, then the psychologist is going to, of course, talk to you, get some information about any mental health treatment or history, any current problems, um, and will do some of their own testing to see what evidence they can find of any mental health uh, symptoms or conditions. And then similarly, a report will be written and sent into Social Security. From that point, the adjudicator will make sure that all that evidence is in your file and a determination will be made as to what Social Security can conclude are your limitations. So what are the things that you're able to do and not able to do or should be able to do and not able to do based upon the conditions that you have and the symptoms that you see in the records? and they will issue a decision. That decision will be um, in response to the initial application that you filed, and the decision will be issued in writing. So Social Security will mail a copy of that decision out to you, and if you have an attorney, they will also mail a copy of the decision to the attorney. So when you get the decision, if it is a favorable decision or an approval, then great. You know, you have been awarded disability benefits. Congratulations. Um, you can then kind of move on with your life to the next step, getting your benefits started, making sure that you have the health insurance that comes with the program um, as it is appropriately awarded. 
If you're denied, however, you'll want to keep in mind that you have 60 days from the date of the denial. So the date on that letter, you have 60 days to appeal that denial. If you don't appeal the denial, then Social Security will consider that, de that denial to be a final determination. So that's the final decision. You're not disabled, and that's that. But if you appeal the decision within those 60 days, then the process simply continues for you, and you move on to the next step, which is called reconsideration. And that reconsideration, the point is for Social Security to gather any new evidence. So they're looking for evidence since you applied. So they're looking for updates so that they can take a look at the updated information. They'll have the in-house doctors and or psychologists take a look at the updated information and see if anything has changed that would allow them to say, okay, well, in light of this new evidence, we do feel that this person meets the requirements for disability. If they make that decision and they approve your case at reconsideration, again, congratulations. You have been awarded disability benefits and you can start getting the, the help that you need to move forward with your life. If you are denied at reconsideration, you've got 60 days in order to appeal that denial. Again, if you don't appeal within those 60 days, then Social Security is going to consider the denial at reconsideration to be a final determination. If you do appeal, on the other hand, what will happen is you will be requesting a hearing in front of an administrative law judge. So, the only way to get to a hearing with an administrative law judge is that you have to be denied at the initial level and you have to be denied again at reconsideration. So you're not able to just skip from an initial application right to seeing the judge. You have to go through the process um, and get those denials. But the administrative law judge process is the stage where most people that get approved will receive an approval. Um, and I think that's for a couple of reasons. When you get to the administrative law judge step in the process, what happens is all of the evidence from the reconsideration and the initial phases, all of that evidence is compiled. So they have all of the evidence that's placed in an electronic folder and you're also, of course, able to submit new evidence, new medical records, school records, vocational records, anything that can help your case, letters from your doctors, letters from your employers. So all of this information is compiled and it is presented to a judge at a hearing. The hearing is the first opportunity that you have in this process to actually talk with a decision maker, who is the judge, about what's going on, explaining, you know, how you're dealing with the symptoms, how the symptoms are affecting your, your life on a daily basis, and what the symptoms are keeping you from being able to do. This gives the judge the opportunity to ask you questions. 
This also, if you're represented by an attorney, gives the attorney a chance to highlight things that the judge would like to know about you that maybe they wouldn't even know to ask. It also provides an opportunity for there to be some testimony from a vocational or jobs expert about how your symptoms are affecting your ability to work. So we'll have another session to completely break down the administrative law judge hearing process in itself, because that step is a huge step for most people. But it's important to know that that's the step where you get to have your say. And, and, and by that, I mean, you get a chance to explain what's going on. It's not just people reading about you and making a decision without being able to, to actually talk to you. So once you request your hearing with an administrative law judge, as I said, the file is compiled, everything is prepared so that the judge has all the evidence that he or she needs to make a decision. Because of the COVID-19 pandemic, hearings are conducted a lot differently now than they were you know, two and a half years ago. There are actually more options now for a hearing. Hearing offices have reopened. They had been closed for the most part since March of 2020. So they've been closed for a very long time. And so the way that hearings were being handled were primarily over the phone. You've got five people typically that are involved in a hearing. It's you, the judge, a court reporter that is um, taking an audio recording of the hearing as well as um, a typed a recording of the hearing. There is a jobs expert. And if you have an attorney, that attorney is the fifth person that is involved in the hearing. If you don't have an attorney, there's typically just four people involved in the hearing. So you have the option because of the COVID-19 pandemic to either do your hearing over the telephone. So when you choose a, a telephone hearing, that's basically a conference call amongst the participants that I, that I just listed, but it proceeds exactly in the same fashion that the hearing would if you were actually there in front of a judge. So the phone hearing has been by far the most popular method because of COVID, um, but it's not the only method. You can also choose to have your hearing by video. So think about like a Zoom hearing, but instead of using Zoom, they use a different format, um, Microsoft Teams. And the Microsoft Teams hearing is one in which you will be able to see the judge and the judge will be able to see you. So it does allow for face-to-face -face interaction. Um, if you, you know, want to be able to see the judge and, and want the judge to be able to see you as well. And then the third option, of course, is the traditional option which is an in-person hearing at the hearing office in front of the judge. So as you're going through the process, um, particularly as you get to the hearing level, if you get there, you want to be thinking about, you know, what's going to be most comfortable for me. You know, there are many people who continue to be immunocompromised and perhaps going to a hearing office would not be the safest option. So if that's the case for you, then you want to think about you know, do you prefer a Microsoft Teams hearing? 
um, you know, by video where you can see the judge and the judge can see you? Or do you prefer to do the hearing over the telephone where you all can hear each other, but you can't see each other? So those are options that you have um, when you are at the hearing stage. The other uh, point that I just want to make sure that everyone's aware of is that regardless as to which stage of the process you may find yourself when you've applied for disability, your information is private. Social Security does a great job of protecting your information. So your neighbor can't just see what's going on or your family member or friend. They can't access your case. Um, they can't, you know, go online and, and look up and say, okay, well, she's at initial and she filed her application on this date. Um, Social Security has that information in their own private database and only approved individuals are able to access that information. So that is just a um, kind of nutshell summary of what actually happens if you pull back the curtain to the Social Security Disability Claims process. For more information on this process or any questions that you may have about qualifying or needing representation, um, please contact our office. Once again, this has been the Disability I thank you for tuning in and please be sure to check out this podcast on any of the many formats that we have available. You've been listening to The Disability with Angel Burgess. Thank you for your positive reviews, comments, and sharing the show with others. You can catch prior episodes at www.disabilityhelpline.com and on YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and more.